and welcome to Harvest Church Podcast. Harvest Church is based in sunny Durban, South Africa. We are a family of believers who are passionate about Jesus. We really hope this message inspires you today. Good morning. In Psalm 23, David writes these words, The Lord is my shepherd, I will not be in need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for the sake of His name. And even though I walk through the valleys of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You have prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil and my cup overflows. Certainly goodness and faithfulness will follow me all the days of my life and my dwelling will be in the house of the Lord forever. Today, I'm gonna speak differently from how I usually do. What I like to do is develop a link between a biblical and a psychological concept. My heart literally does flick flacks when I see the meeting place of biblical truth of what God has been saying works for mankind for generations to live a meaningful life, a flourishing life, a, a kingdom life, a good life, and the discoveries from empirical research regarding beneficial human behavior. Of course, it is inevitable that people discover God's truth when they are looking for what works well for human beings. God is our creator, and he designed us, and he gave us some principles to follow. I love what the author of Psalm 119 says, your statutes are my delight. And that's where God wants us to live because that's where flourishing lies. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity wrote these words, God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. We can try and plan a degree of happiness and peace in our lives. We can plan a holiday, watch a sunrise, or take some time off and plan a special moment. But lasting, authentic, internal, and eternal happiness and peace does not come by the planning of our lives, but it comes by the person of Jesus in our lives, which is why it is available for us in our planned and in our unplanned events. Because peace and happiness has a name, and his name is Jesus. And this is what David was referring to in this incredibly audacious claim in Psalm 23, far ahead of his time. The Lord is my shepherd, and some translations say, I will live a life without lack. How is it possible to live a life without lack? Well, we might look at David's life and say it was easy for him. 
he was the king of Israel. He had power, he had position, he had wealth. And clearly, that's not my life or maybe your life. But what's interesting is if you flip just one chapter back, we see David crying out these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? David knew what it felt like to be in anguish, and he knew what it felt like to, to feel abandoned. And quite beautifully, David was not guilty of what has been commonly or recently referred to as toxic positivity. He did not ignore, suppress, nor desire, de deny his genuine emotions, but he expressed them all to his heavenly father and felt safe in that place. You see, David understood duality, living in the tension of uncomfortable feelings and living in the truth of Psalm 23. Now, until recently, I confess I have not spent much time in the Psalm. I know that there are some theologians that uh, recommend that you read the Psalm every day because it is really a whole big picture of Scripture in a few short verses. I've never done that. But for some reason, this was a Psalm that kept playing on repeat in my mind in a very recent and unplanned event. And today, is really a personal story about that time, about who David is referring to in the psalm, a good shepherd and an incredibly extravagant host, and why the psalm feels so real to me. You see, the Word of God is not just a selection of ideas that are contained to a text. His word is living and active, and his words are an experience that we get to live in our lives in planned and in unplanned events. This is also a story about a group of people who prayed. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. And there were some people that prayed day and night, and I have no doubt that their prayer moved medical results, impacted the recovery process, changed booking schedules of nurses, and the prayers brought such incredible, tangible comfort in that some nights I would actually dream and see faces of people praying. And during a time in hospital where we couldn't have visitors, that was the most incredible comfort to me. The prayers of the saints is a phrase that will forever be cemented in my heart. Now for a bit of a heads up, because this is a personal story, a testimony, testimonies, I think, require a few disclaimers. There is a very interesting tension between our personal stories and what we might refer to as theology or doctrine. 
Now, if you've never heard the word theology, if you've never taken a course in theology, believe it or not, you have a theology because theology is quite simply what we think about God. And what we think about God needs to be sound and it needs to be based on the word of God. Sometimes though, our experiences influence our theology. If we go through a difficult time, we might wonder, is God good? When we go through a good time, it's easy. God is good. When things are hard, we wonder if maybe God's goodness doesn't extend to me. On the other extreme, I think, that sometimes our understanding of God's goodness the extreme of it limits our experiences and it limits the interpretation of our experiences. It's as if we limit the creative genius of God by our own lack of understanding of that genius. And there were times in this process where I need to admit to you, I said to God, I don't have theology for this. None of it made sense to me. And God invited me to enter into the place of more than you can imagine. In Ephesians chapter three, verse 20, it says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can even ask or imagine. And so my disclaimer this morning is that my story is not theology. And I hope that my story will extend and expand your imaginations of what God can do, particularly regarding how good this Good Shepherd is and how extravagantly He loves to host us. The title this morning is called Tasting Heaven When Going Through Hell because this, that is exactly what this experience felt like. And I have some points this morning which are more like thoughts. And the first one is, a few words from God can change everything, even when nothing changes. I was admitted to Umschlange Hospital on the first Monday in January of this year. My stomach was so distended by this time that I looked as if I was nine months pregnant. And I had gone into what is called toxic or septic shock. As a result of that, I don't have many memories from Monday. I didn't even know I had been admitted to surgery later on that evening. I got the last bed in a COVID-free ICU, the only COVID-free ICU at the time in Umschlange Hospital. And there were so many of these little miracles all the way. God just reminding me of his presence and how generously he wanted to host me at this table. After I was admitted, a nurse administered what's called a drainage tube. It goes into your nose, down the back of your throat, and all the way down into your stomach. And she explained afterwards that this is a very tricky procedure as the body's natural response is a reflux. And so you gag, the tube goes back up two centimeters and then you have to start again. When she described and was putting the pieces of Monday together for me, she said, 
that my tube went in miraculously, just like butter, she said. As the tube hit the lining of my stomach, 600 milliliters of green toxic fluid exploded through the tube, and she turned to her colleague and she spoke these words. This lady is very sick. I can see the hand of God on her life, and she will be okay. She saw what the end would look like, and she spoke it out loud before it had even happened. Later in the week, she asked me, are you a godly person? And I had an opportunity to speak about this wonderful, beautiful God in my life. There were many significant conversations in the hospital during this time. And the most precious of the conversations were the ones, the intimate conversations that I had with my heavenly Father. God has a way of speaking to us in our very worst moments to give us the most exceptional peace that is so unlikely in those circumstances. Now, just over a year ago, I spoke about this concept in a talk called Courage Your Heart. And I told the story of a character called Lucy in the Chronicles of Narnia, one of my favorite characters in fiction. And she was on a boat in stormy seas. And after calling out to Aslan, who is a Christ-like figure in the stories, and she says, Aslan, Aslan, if you are there at all, you would send help now. And she hears a voice in the storm, and he replies to her in a gentle whisper, and he says, courage, dear heart. Her circumstances do not change, but in that moment of hearing her father's voice, everything changes inside of her, knowing that he's there and willing to whisper to her heart. I woke up from the surgery late on Monday night and I was surrounded by hospital staff in ICU. And they explained to me that I'd had a surgery, which I've heard since by one of the doctors, that was textbook impossible. And they removed a portion of my ascending colon, reconnected it after cleaning the toxicity out. <clears throat> I found out later that it was a life-threatening condition. My surgeon had used the words in a follow-up consult that conservatism, referring to the surgery, would have killed me. I had a dressing, the length of my stomach, I had been stapled together both inside and out. Modern medicine is truly miraculous. And I cried and I laughed and I thanked the staff for their role. And then when everybody left, I began to speak to the real source of this miracle. The good shepherd and the extravagant host, the God who is with us wherever you are walking. I started with thanking him and I knew that this was not over and I began to pray for complete healing. I was relieved and I was grateful. And let me add, I love living. I've had a bout with suicidal thoughts. In my 20s. And it literally feels like that was somebody else's life. I have come back from that 
with a vengeance. And as I began to thank God for keeping me alive, praising Him, He interrupted me. And He began to speak to me, knowing what I would need for the rest of the journey. And He asked me a very simple question that is fundamental to my faith. And He said this, will you surrender? Now, my theology is really clear that God speaks to us. There are many examples in the Old Testament of God speaking in an audible voice. I think there are three examples in the New Testament. God also speaks through angels. He speaks in visions. He speaks in dreams. He speaks through the Holy Spirit. He ministers to our heart and to our mind. And the Bible says God speaks through people. And not only does he speak, but fundamental to my theology is that God is with us. He is always present. And I've heard God speak on many occasions, but for some reason, when God asked me to surrender and I was hooked up to tubes on ICU, this voice felt very different from the time that I've heard him speak while on a run. And I responded, needing clarity. And I said to God, what are you asking? And he said to me in return, do you trust me? Now this is when I think good thinking, good theology, good theology, good thinking about God is crucial for our experiences. I have grappled in early years with the kindness and the goodness of God as, as to whether that is true or not. And I did some courses in my undergraduate degree. One of the courses was called Old Testament Survey. And I still feel like I need to apologize to that professor because I think I cried every single day in his class, grappling with this concept of, is God really good? Is he really kind? And it was only until I had a revelation of God's individual love for me that he died for me as an individual, that he, he delights in me and I am the apple of his eye. And of course, so are you. And it was only with individual revelation that I was able to come to terms with some of the difficult passages. And so when God asked me, do you surrender? Will you surrender and do you trust me? I must admit, it, I wasn't worried about the goodness and kindness of God because I had had a dark year of the soul, not a dark night of the soul, but a dark year of the soul where I had grappled with that concept. But while lying on the bed in ICU, there were lots of other things that worried me. And I'm a wife. And I'm a mother. And I worried about my people. And I expressed my concerns to God because God is an intimate God. We can talk to him about all of our fears and all of our worries. We don't have to be afraid of anything that we say to God. And he has a patient way of working with us. And I expressed my concerns and God gave me some incredible pictures of my people. And they were happy and they were peaceful and there was, there was joy. 
and there was so much laughing. And then I saw another picture, and it was Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was surrendering and saying to God, not my will, but yours. And the next verse that flashed on a screen, much like these screens that we have in the church, was the scripture verse, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And in that moment, I knew that God was with me and comforting me and giving me everything that I needed for the moment to do exactly what he was asking me to do. He gave everything to me that I needed to take me through this journey. His presence was so tangible that I had complete peace regardless of any outcome. It's very difficult to find words to describe the profoundness of this moment and the intimacy that I felt with God. But the line between this life and eternal life felt as if it didn't even exist. It felt like just one journey, not an interruption with these beautiful assurances along the way. And I was able to say after that, I surrender and I trust you. So although nothing had changed, everything changed inside of me. Which brings me to number two. In this upside down, back to front kingdom that we live in, some battles are won with surrender. Now I don't think that because I surrendered, God saved me, and I really don't believe that God took me through this in order to get me to some kind of point in my life of surrender. I think that God let me and led me down the path of surrender because he knew that it was with surrender and trust that my happiness and peace would begin. David wrote, he lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters and he restores my soul. Now for sheep to actually lie down in green pastures, they need to be full. Otherwise, they are standing up eating the green pastures. And surrender brings a sense of fullness. It brings a contentment to our lives because this is God's design for us. For a sheep to be led, he also needs to know that the shepherd is in charge, that he is not the one in charge. And this requires trust. And I believe that it is in trust in our Heavenly Father that our souls are truly restored. As soon as I said the words, I surrender and I trust you, God gave me another verse. And it says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so I said, I surrender and I trust you. And the desires of my heart are to grow old with my husband, to be there for my children, and to see my children's children grow up 
And I added, and I don't think my work here is finished on earth. And God replied with just one word, restoration. Now, I had spoken on human flourishing just a few weeks before, and in that talk, I had said that human flourishing is available for us here on earth, no matter what circumstance we are in. And let me add, I believe that now more than ever. But I had also said in that talk that ultimate flourishing is only available to us on that side of heaven. And so I said to God, and I remember jokingly saying it, do you mean on this side or on yours? Now what's interesting is he didn't answer my question. But what I've learned is that God doesn't always answer our questions and yet we always get all the answers that we need. And God replied with one simple word, patience. And so my journey began, surrender and trust, restoration and patience. I wish that growth was linear. I wish that we could take one step up and then we didn't have to come back down. I don't know if your life is like that, but mine isn't. I wish that I could get the revelation from God and then I could tick it off neatly and go on to the next thing. But I'm not like that. I'm like up one step, down two, up one step, down three. And even that night, right after I had heard God speak, I was afraid to go to sleep. I was scared to stop praying. And so I expressed my concern to God and I said, God, I'm too scared to go to sleep. And he spoke to me again in the storm. And he said these phenomenal words, Jesus is interceding on your behalf. Now this is really good theology. Romans 8 verse 34, Paul writes these words, Jesus Christ who died was raised to life is on the right hand of God interceding on your behalf. And I would like to say right now that God is interceding on your behalf, whatever it is that you are going through. Jesus is interceding on your behalf. That's what he does for us. And so there's sometimes that we can rest and we can surrender knowing that he is doing the interceding for us. And with that voice in my emotional storm, I finally slept because a few words from God can change everything even when nothing changes. In the early hours of the next morning, my bloods were taken. They had been very concerning the night before <clears throat> and they showed remarkable improvements. I find it amazing if you spend one night with God, things change. My cup overflowed, as David said. God had spoken, things were looking up, and I still had to do this difficult thing called the process. Now, I'm not the adventurous type. I like comfort on a good day, and I like to be in control of a bad one. And those of you that have been in ICU know that none of this comes on that menu. And I had to rely on the kindness of strangers. My teeth were brushed and I had absolutely no control of any bodily functions. I'm a very private person. 
So this was a huge challenge for me. And while going through the ups and downs of it, the tears and the laughter, because I also learned that a sense of humor is crucial to getting through any traumatic experience. One day I heard a whisper, and God said this, dignity is an internal state, not an outward condition. You see, dignity is not something that can be taken away because worth is unchangeable. Dignity does not vacillate as our health does. Dignity cannot be lost with a job and dignity is not gained with wealth. It is not determined by age or by your marital status. Dignity is not even determined by the circles of your friendships. Dignity is fundamental to the human spirit. And dignity comes with a sense of knowing our royal status with God. Dignity does not change with change. Edith Eager, in a book, The Choice, which I highly recommend reading, explains that we will all face changes in our lives through grief, through trauma, or through loss. She says that it comes with our birth certificate. I find this a very sobering thought. And change requires acknowledgement of change. It requires grieving the changes. It requires accepting the changes and this enormous challenge. Trauma requires learning to live in the present. I think we've got a slide on this one, number four. Learning to live in the present without being locked in the past event. One of the difficult challenges when facing any kind of trauma, whether it's a medical one, a relational one, whether it's a trauma from childhood, or if it's a new trauma in adulthood, is that the body likes to tell us the trauma is unending. Bessel van der Kolk speaks about it in a brilliant book called The Body Keeps the Score. Trauma has a way of hanging on to us. And even with childhood trauma, when we're adults and we're safely away from the threat, or a soldier who's safely home from the war, or an abused spouse who has managed to gain some physical distance away from the threat, our brains, our minds, and our bodies hold the record of trauma. The past can unfortunately become our present reality, even when the threat is over. We can get stuck in what is called survival mode, and in that mode, we expect a threat, we perceive a threat and we focus on fighting off unseen enemies. And this can even leave little room in our lives for nurturing and for loving. And that's why trauma, even childhood trauma, will impact your present relationships as it doesn't just impact the person that went through the trauma. After my op, I had some very normal triggers from what I had been through, and I'm 11 weeks in, and I still have triggers. 
One of the triggers was that when I started vomiting, because I had vomited so much in the three days previously to being admitted, as soon as I started vomiting after the op, my body told me that the threat was still present. I'd had the operation, the doctor had said things were looking good, but just that memory, it was a trigger of danger. And so I was terribly afraid on one day. I think I'd been vomiting for about 36 hours. My potassium was low, the nurses were twitchy. And I sent a message out to my husband. And I asked him to ask people to pray and to break bread and to pray Psalm 91. Let me advise you that when you're afraid, call in the troops. You need them. And there's so much that I can say about praying this, about people praying this psalm. But one of the verses in the psalm says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And during my stay, this was particularly evident even though this has not been a focus of my theology. There was definitely angelic presence, and people even would send me messages the next day confirming an experience that I had had the day before, even though I hadn't told them anything about it. In fact, the 10 days felt like one continuous heavenly experience, tasting heaven, when going through hell, because human flourishing is available, because human flourishing is dependent on the God in our lives, not the circumstances in our lives. I'm gonna end with one particular moment, and it is a very intimate moment. The last night, The last night um, that I was in the hospital, I had been downgraded. It's an interesting terminology. Downgraded means that you actually upgraded. And um, I was on my own in a room, and no longer did I have a sister looking over my monitor for 24 hours because I was out of critical condition. And that night in the hospital, I was alone for the first time. And... um, I hadn't been lonely for not once in the 10 days, which is unusual for me. I mean, I miss my husband when he goes to work. But um, I was there with no visitors, and not once did I feel lonely, which is also just a miraculous expression of God. And that night, I couldn't sleep. And I said to Jesus, clearly, you don't want me to sleep. And I began praying for the patients in the COVID unit Being in the hospital at that time meant that I was very aware of what was happening and very engaged in the grief and loss. And after praying for a while, I had a sense that the angels that were guarding my room had gone to minister into the COVID unit. And I was alone, I felt lonely for the very first time. And I said this to God, that I was lonely. And he said to me so loudly, Let's chat. Immediately, 
I felt the presence of God fill my room. I have no words to describe it. I could see it, I could taste it, I could hear it, and I could feel it around me. And immediately, within a few seconds, I found that I was curled up in a fetal position. Remember, I've got 20 staples in my stomach, and I'm curled up in a fetal position in a gutted repentance. There is something about the presence of God that demands repentance. It wasn't as if I had a choice. It was the presence of God that came in and filled this place, and all I could do was cry out, holy, holy, and God forgive me. Francis Frangipani, in a book called The Three Battlegrounds, writes about repentance, and he says that we should not rationalize our sins and our failures. I don't know about you, but I have definitely participated in what I would call rationalized repentance. And in this moment, rationalization was impossible. I repented of nuances, of attitudes, of thoughts, not just behaviors. I repented of the condition of my heart, and it came from the depth of my being because I didn't have a choice, because the presence of God demands repentance. The next morning, I woke up, and I received a text from a friend, and it said these exact words, dreamt about you last night, you got baptized and came up smiling. The water came up smiling and glistening. The water was warm. Now, for those of you that don't know, baptism is a sign of repentance in Scripture. So while I was repenting in the presence of God, a friend of mine was dreaming of me being baptized. The next day I left the hospital, it was exactly 10 days after I had arrived. I had a resectioned and cleaned out colon, and as a friend explained to me the other day, I quite possibly had a cleaned out heart. I definitely had a better understanding of how good this good shepherd is and how extravagant and generous his hosting is. Now, I heard God then, and I need to keep hearing God. I repented then, and I need to keep repenting. But this experience will always go down for me. As one that has changed my theology on how good God really is. And this morning would not feel complete without giving anyone an opportunity that doesn't know the Good Shepherd and the extravagant host an opportunity to accept him as your Lord and Savior. It's a very simple thing to do. And unfortunately, God does not promise us a life without trouble, but he does promise us that there will be peace in the trouble. And so if you have never ever given your life to Jesus, I would like to invite you into a relationship with this heavenly Father that I know and if you'd like to do that, just pray a very simple prayer with me that I guarantee you will change your life forever. Lord, 
I surrender my life to yours. I surrender my will to yours. I choose to make you the Lord, the boss of my life. I repent for my sins and for trying to steer my own ship. Take over the helm and guide me. And when we go through stormy waters, let me hear your voice. And for the rest of you who know Jesus really well, but are feeling a nudge towards deeper surrender and trust, I invite you to take a moment to pray and hand over whatever needs to be handed over. Maybe it's a relationship or a situation, a job crisis, a financial status. Maybe it's your children or your spouse. But take a moment and just say to God, like that old hymn, I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. Father, we thank you that you are with us always. We thank you that you guide us. We thank you that you direct us. We thank you that you lead us. And Father, we thank you for your incredible generosity, for your incredible kindness. We thank you for your goodness. All that's left to do is for us to praise you for the rest of our days. In Jesus' name. Amen.